Well, as we get back to Luke, this changes everything. You know, this is the 80th, 8-0, the 80th sermon in Luke. That's a lot of sermons right there. That's because we started about two and a half years ago. Granted, we sprinkled some mini-series throughout that stretched it out. But we started, I had to look it up. We started on January 14th of 2018. Uh, and then... Uh, I, the good news is we're almost done. Like, there's six sermons left. We are on the home stretch. We're going to do those six right in a row, and we will be finished with Luke, but I pray Luke is never finished with us. We just took a break, and we did the God Never Said That series. Now, before we took that break, Pastor Der- and Jerry did a great sermon where we looked at the arrest of Jesus. That's kind of where we left things off. Now today what we're going to do is we're going to take two passages, one that happened before that and one that happens after that. So one was after like Passover communion, before they went out to the Garden of Gethsemane and arrest. One happened there. And the second passage we'll look at happens after the Garden of Gethsemane and the arrest, but before the crucifixion. Why these two passages? Because they're linked because they're both about Peter. They're both about Peter. So that's what we'll be looking at today. Now, our first passage in Luke chapter 22 begins with these three words. Simon, Simon, behold. It says Jesus speaking to Peter. And he says, Simon, Simon, behold. Now, why doesn't he call him Peter? You might be aware that he actually ended up with two names, both Simon and Peter. Simon was his given name. Simon means the hearing one or to hear. It's related to the word Shema. Simon, Shema. If you recognize the word Shema, the, the Shema is the uh, most important prayer that Jews pray. It comes out of Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The first word is hear. That is the Hebrew word Shema. It means to hear. Peter, so, so Peter is his original name, his given name is Simon, which means to hear. Now the question is, where did Peter come from? Well, the word, the name Peter, Jesus renamed Simon Peter. The word Peter means the rock. So step off, Dwayne. You are not the original rock. You are not OG. Peter is OG. He's the original rock. Okay? So that's the rock. So the question is, as Jesus starts out addressing Peter here, why doesn't he say, Peter, Peter, behold? And that's because it's a play on words. It's lost on us in English. The word behold there, the third word, is the word for listen, hear me, pay attention. Okay? So what he's saying is, listener, listener, listen. The one who hears, the one who hears, hear me now. This is very, very important what Jesus is about to say to Peter. And so let us listen very carefully. We pick it up in Luke chapter 22, verses 31 through 34. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. And then they went out to the Garden of Gethsemane and the arrest, and we'll get to some more of that in a little bit. But what I notice in that passage are are a few contrasts. 
that we want to look at. And the first contrast is demand versus request. Do you notice that it says that Satan demanded to have you? Can Satan make demands of God? What is going on there? You understand, people make demands all the time when they have no authority to actually make the demand, right? So, so what I want you to do is go on Facebook and demand that everyone agrees with you. See how that goes. Have fun storming the castle, right? Like, it's not going to go well, right? Uh, you don't have the authority. You can't make them do it. Or go to a restaurant and demand that they give you a free meal. They will treat that as a request. They might grant it, they might not, but it, you have no authority to make, or don't even get me started on the way people make demands of the church, okay? So these things are actually requests, and you can make demands of God, but God will treat them as requests, because you don't have authority, neither does Satan. So though Satan makes a demand, it is actually a request to God. And what we don't know is we have no idea how often God denies that request from Satan. How often has Satan asked or demanded to sift you, and God said, no, we don't know. In this case, God is going to grant Satan's request, though he stated it as a demand, it's a request, he's going to grant it that he might sift Peter. Why? Why did he grant it? And that gets us to the next contrast, the next pair that we want to look at, and it's this, our goals versus Jesus' goals. And those are on display in this passage. See, in this passage, Peter and Jesus have a little debate about what's going to go down in the future. Let me just give you a hint. When Jesus tells you what's going to happen in the future, don't argue. You understand you're working at a disadvantage at that point, right? And yet he argues. And why? What's going on? Well, Peter has a set of goals and Jesus has a set of goals and they're different goals. Let's look at what are our goals as reflected in Peter. One of our goals is that we would not be sifted. Okay? Not sifted. That's like a goal. So we're like, hey, Jesus, the sifting thing you're talking about, I vote no. Of course, it's not a democracy, right? But nonetheless, we're like, I don't, I don't like that talk at all. Now, second goal is, okay, okay, but if I'm sifted, let's have it be no personal failure, just like crazy successful on my part, right? That's another goal that, that we have for ourselves that evidently Jesus doesn't share with us all the time. Uh, the third goal that we have is that we would be self-reliant. It's the goal of self-reliance. And you see this in Peter. Like Peter, what did, and what did he put his hope? It's in himself, like, he was, like, really clear, like, hey, Jesus, not me. Like, those 10 schmoes back there, right, like, Judas had already betrayed, so there's 10 other, just, like, those guys, yeah, I could see those guys denying you, Jesus, but not me. I'm going to go to jail. I'm going to go to death with you. I'll never let you down. I will never let you down. Self-reliance, me. That's a goal that we have that Jesus doesn't quite share. And then the last goal that we have is that we would look good. I want to be the hero of the story. Not the villain. I want to be the champion. So those are our goals right there. Now, Jesus doesn't quite embrace our goals. Jesus has different goals for us. And so one of his top goals is evidently from the passage, tested faith. So you understand, as parents, our role is not to protect our children from the world. It is to prepare our children for the world. And God is a good father. And so he's not going to protect Peter from the sifting. He's going to prepare Peter through the sifting. 
And so Jesus is saying, listen, I won't keep you from the trial, Peter. I will keep you through the trial. And so Jesus is not anti-sifting. He's anti-faith that fails. And so he says, I want your faith to remain strong. Look, if, if the goal was that Peter's faith wouldn't fail, why, not, why didn't God just tell Satan no? And then Satan wouldn't sift him and his faith wouldn't fail. We'd be all good here, right? Well, no, then Peter would have an untested and immature faith. And Jesus' goal for us is a mature faith. It must be tested. That's one of Jesus' goals. Second goal he has is that we would rely on him. Not self-reliant, but Jesus-reliant. In fact, did you catch in there? Like, he said, hey, you're going to deny me, but listen. He said, don't worry, Peter, I have prayed for you. Do you, you catch that? Does it, does it cross your mind that Jesus prays for you? Just think about that. From Jesus is called the advocate. Right now, he is at the right hand of God the Father. And they talk all the time. When you talk to God, you know what that's called? It's called prayer. Prayer is just talking to God. And so Jesus is talking to the Father about you. Jesus is praying for you. I hope that blows your mind. Look, sometimes people are like, you know, this thing's really important. We need the pastor to pray. We need Rick to pray. You get that my prayers aren't magic, right? I'm just another dude. My, our prayers are the same, right? But for some, but we need the pastor to pray. You know what's more powerful than a pastor praying? How about Jesus? How about Jesus praying for you all the time? That is crazy cool. And he wants us to learn to rely on him. Don't worry, Jesus is praying for you. We rely on him. That's a goal he has. A third goal that he has for us is our repentance. Not that we never screw up, but that we repent. Remember he said, turn again. The word turn, that is the word to turn around. That's repentance. You turn from your sin, you turn back to God. His goal is our repentance. And then the last goal that I think we see in that passage is our growth and our service. He said, Peter, after you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. See, once you have turned, once you've repented, once you've been healed, now you're strong. But your strength is not for you, Peter. Your strength is so that you can strengthen others. You're not supposed to be a dead end. You're supposed to be a through street for the healing and the blessing of God. And you see that in passages like 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Look at this. It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction. So that, so that, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. You are not supposed to be a dead end for God's comfort. He comforted you in your hard times so that you could comfort others in their hard times. That's Jesus' goal, our growth in our service. So because they have two different sets of goals, in this case, Jesus looks at it and goes, okay, what Satan's asking can actually serve my goals for you right now, Peter. So I am going to grant, yes, that he might sift you. Now, word sift is important because that brings up the next set of contrast. It's sifting versus winnowing. And all of this, Jesus said, he wants to sift you like wheat. This has to do with wheat. Some of you are like, I'm gluten-free. 
God bless you. I didn't make the illustration. Take it up with Jesus, okay? He brought the wheat into it, all right? But those, back in that day, they knew how they processed wheat. Everybody in the culture knew it, right? The first thing after you cut the thing down, you have to do is thresh it. And so they would have a threshing floor and walk animals in a circle over it. And what it would do is beat the snot out of it so that it would separate the, the heads from the stalk. And then they could throw the stalks away and gather the, the head part of it. But still the process was not done because what they needed to do next is, is there was a kernel, a grain, and it was covered by chaff. And they had to separate the chaff from the good part that they wanted to use for food. Okay? And so what they would do is, well, they had actually two processes to do that. One was sifting and the other was winnowing. And what they would do in sifting is they would take a basket that was loosely woven, so it acted like a sieve. They'd put the, the wheat into it and they would shake it and sift it and it would grate on the basket. What would happen is it would separate the grain from the chaff. The grain would fall through the holes to the, to the blanket underneath and the chaff would be left on top. You'd be looking at a whole bunch of chaff in your basket. It was one process. The other option they had was winnowing. And often they do both, actually. But the other way you separate it is by winnowing. What they do in that case is they would have a pile of this uh, unprocessed wheat, and they would either use a fork to throw it up in the air, or they'd just use the blanket a couple people, and they'd be throwing it up in the air. Or, or they'd use a basket and throw it up in the air. They'd do this outside, and the wind would be blowing. And what would happen is the wind would blow the chaff off and blow the chaff away, and the grain would fall right back down, and there is your pile of fruit, of grain, that you want to harvest. So two different ways to go about it. Now, either way, you've got to separate the grain from the chaff. You've got to do that. But there are some significant differences between these two methods. And the first difference is one of process. You understand sifting is a very harsh, rough grading process. And when you talk about sifting someone's life, doesn't sound like such fun, does it? The other option is winnowing, and that's where God throws you up in the air. You know, like a dad would take his kid and thwee, right? And mom's like, stop it. You know, dad's like, wee, right? And it's just that fun, and daddy's just throwing you up in the air. That is winnowing. And so it's a difference in process. It's also a difference in result. Difference in result. So the difference in result is when you sift, the grain falls down. And what you're left with in your basket is chaff. You're looking at chaff. You're looking at junk from your life. That's it. Winnowing does it differently. Winnowing throws it up in the air. So the chaff is blown away by the wind. And then the grain falls. And what you're looking at is grain. So do you want to look at the bad stuff or the growth? That's the question. Sifting or winnowing. And by the way, when, when daddy throws you up in the air and the wind blows, you know the Holy Spirit, the word for spirit is the same word for wind. So there's your dad throwing you up in the air and the wind of God is blowing through your life, blowing the chaff away, and now you just see the grain. Here's what I want you to catch. Satan sifts, Jesus winnows. Satan sifts, but Jesus winnows. Think of it this way. Why did Satan want to sift Peter? Now, Jesus knew he could use this in Peter's life, so he allowed it. But Satan's goals, do you think Satan was going, I wonder how I can grow Peter up in sanctification so he can be a better disciple, better apostle? No. 
He wanted to hurt Peter, right? So he wants to sift him. Because when you sift, the grain falls through, and all you're looking at is the chaff. Satan wants to rub your nose in the crap of your life. And, And so with Peter, he's saying, look at all this chaff in your life, Peter. Look at all the junk. Look, look how you de- will deny Jesus. You think God wants you? How could God want you? That's sifting. Jesus wants to winnow your life. He wants to blow the chaff out of you. Grow you up in the Lord. Like a dad throwing his kid up in the air and the Holy Spirit blowing right through your life, the wind of God. And the result is the fruit falls down and all you see now is the fruit, the growth. What God has done in your life. That's what you're looking at. And so he's able to say, man, little buddy, look how far you have come. Look how much you've grown. Yeah, there's more to go. We'll keep doing it together, but look how far you've come. And I realize that some of you are so discouraged over your past sin or your present weakness. And all you can see is the chaff because you're being sifted. And Jesus wants to winnow. Blow that stuff out. Listen, we've got to realize that the the sifting makes us focus on the chaff, but it is not about perfection. It's about progress. Listen, we're not going to be perfected till we get home to Jesus. And some of you are looking in your life and going, I am so far from perfect. Yeah, duh, of course. But all you can see is a lack of perfection. You're sifting. You're looking at the chaff. And God's goal for you right now is not perfection, it's progress. And the question is, are you making progress? Are you growing? Is there grain? See that? And of course, the method is different as well. Uh, Jesus goes with conviction, Satan goes with shame. And, and so when you sift and you got the chaff and it's like, look at that, how could God, that's shame, that's shame, that's shame. And Jesus goes, no, I'll use conviction to show you the chaff and let the Holy Spirit blow it out of your life. That's a difference of method because Satan sifts, but Jesus winnows. And so that was the conversation between Peter and Jesus, the first part of it. And then they go out, they go to the Garden of Gethsemane and Judas leads guards and they arrest Jesus, lead him away. In fact, we pick up the story there in Luke chapter 22, verse 54. It says, then they seized him and led him away bringing him into the high priest's house, and Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Now, the Bible does not include the next part, but I've always imagined that what Peter had for dinner the next night looked a little bit like this. 
He went out, he found that rooster, killed that thing and roasted it up. I, that's, that's not in there. I just imagine it. But let me tell you what is in there. There's another contrast. It's deny versus testify. Deny versus testify. So despite Peter's incredible faith in his own courage, uh, despite Peter's prediction of his own immaculate character, he denies Jesus and denies Jesus and denies Jesus, and then the rooster crows right then. Now, don't be too hard on Peter. Where are the other ten disciples? You realize Peter's the only one that made it this far. He's the best of the lot so far, right? So don't be too hard for him. But, but he's not too bright. He's not too bright. And, and the reason why is because he, he opened his mouth and spoke. Uh, yeah, parents, have you ever told one of your kids, like, hey, don't eat the cookies? Right? And then you, you can kind of hear the cookie jar from the other room. So you go in, and the kid's doing one of these. Right? And you say, hey, did you eat the cookies? And the kid says, "Moo!" and crumbs fall out, right? Like, if you just kept your mouth shut, bud, you'd have been better off, right? Like, don't talk and let the crumbs. Now, Peter kind of did that. Peter is a Galilean. Okay? So is Jesus. So are all the apostles. They came from the northern part of Israel. And, and therefore, Galileans, they spoke with an accent. And so when they spoke, they knew that they were Galileans, they were with Jesus. So the first two accusations against Peter were yes, no questions. He could have just shook his head. Keep your mouth shut, Peter, you'd be okay. But instead he spoke, and when he spoke, he spoke with a Galilean accent, and he gave away the fact that yes, he's with Jesus, which led to the third accusation, the third denial, and then the rooster crowed. Peter's not too bright, and neither are we. You know, Peter's not the only one that denies Jesus. We do as well. Think about when you're at work or maybe you're at a family reunion and they kind of peg you as the Christian, right? And, and maybe there's some discussion going on about morality or maybe about religion. And they say, hey, uh, aren't, you're into that Christian stuff, right? And you say, well, I, you know, I go to church occasionally when my wife makes me. That's a denial. You want to distance yourself from Jesus in that moment. Or, or think about when somebody says, hey, what? I've noticed there's a difference in you. What's different in your life? And you know the answer is Jesus. But instead, you, you give crickets. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. I've been working out more lately. Yep, maybe that's, you know, like, no. That's, that's a denial right there of Jesus. Or thirdly, think of your social media posts. Like we, if we were to look at your social media posts, would there be enough evidence to convict you of being a Christian? Or have you pretty much distanced yourself from Jesus in social media? That's a denial. That's three right there. The rooster just crowed. We deny him as well. Now there is good news though, and it is this. Peter turned out pretty okay. Peter turned out okay. So after the third denial, the rooster crowed, Jesus turned and looked at Peter, Peter looked at Jesus, their eyes locked. Have you ever had one of those moments where it seemed like God was looking directly at you and you were looking directly at God? I've had a moment like that. I remember my freshman year in college. I was a really young Christian. I was a mess. And... Uh, I was trying to figure out walking with Jesus and things weren't going well. And I was frustrated. And I knew I, it was spring break. I was down in Florida. So when you're in that situation at spring break in Florida, not a good combo. 
And so I went out on the beach alone one night and I, I knew I was just facing off with God. And I knew from that moment forward, I would either walk with God or walk away from God. It was like I was looking in God's face and he was looking right at me. I don't know if you've experienced something like that before. Peter's having one of those moments where his eyes lock with Jesus and it's a defining moment. But the important thing to catch is that when Jesus looks at Peter, I don't think it's a look of scorn. Like, I don't think this is a Karen stare. Like, how dare you? I don't think that's going on there. Instead, he's saying, Peter, remember, I told you, Peter. Remember I told you this? You, you, Peter, you said it wouldn't happen, but it did. And you just said you don't know me, Peter, but I know you, and I chose you. You're mine, Peter, you're mine. Jesus knows you're going to blow it, and his desire is to choose you anyway. Like, he wants you and to blow the chaff out of your life, but he wants you. The reality is we have such generous self-impressions views of ourselves, And we know that from pictures, right? You know how like when somebody takes a picture of you and you're like, that doesn't look anything like me. And the reason we say that is because the picture is not very flattering, right? And we remember that one picture one time when like the planets aligned and the lighting was just perfect and I look smoking hot. And I'm pretty convinced that that picture is actually what I look like. And every other picture is like wrong. And everyone else around me is going, dude, that's exactly what you look like, right? We have such generous self-images. Peter's like that. Peter's like, no, I will never fall away. No, I've got this. And Jesus is like, dude, I know exactly. I know what an unfiltered picture of you looks like, Peter. And you're gorgeous to me. I want you. I choose you. Unfiltered, Peter. I choose you. So with that look, Jesus is saying, Peter, don't worry. I've got this. I'm about to go to the cross to pick up the tab for those denials right there. That's the solution, Peter. Peter, I never hoped in you. Peter, I'm asking, would you hope in me? I think that's what that look communicated. So Peter went out and he wept bitterly. Now, can you just imagine how Peter felt in that moment? Like, we don't, we don't, we don't experience it rightly. Like we took these two passages and sewed them together. We know the spoilers. Like we know the rest of the story and how it came out. Peter didn't experience it that way. Peter was in the midst of like a hurricane and everything's just swirling around in that moment. Can you imagine? This is the moment in history like everything's pointing toward and it's swirling. So like it starts out with Passover and Jesus reinterprets it. Can Jesus change Passover? Yeah, and he just did. And then he said somebody's going to betray him. Who was that? And then he told me that I'm going to deny him? No way. And then we went out to the garden, and Jesus started praying, he told us to stay awake, and we fell asleep, and Jesus was mad. But we saw that he was sweating blood. What was that about? And then Judas comes. Did Judas just betray Jesus? Oh my goodness, I think he did. And they arrest Jesus and then all the disciples, they scatter and they run in the dark in different directions. Peter's the only one that can kind of keep an eye on and keeps them and follows at a distance and he sneaks into the courtyard to see what's going on. And, and then some servant girl says, hey, aren't you one of them? And in that moment, he's thinking, well, all this swirling, if I say yes, I'll get arrested too. No, no, no. And the rooster crowed. And in that moment, Jesus looks over at Peter. And you got to imagine his heart dropped to his stomach. Oh, he told me about this. He 
told me about this. Now, don't miss this, though. He told him about two very specific things. He said, when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. So to turn again means to repent. That means to turn around, to turn from your sin and go back to Jesus. You understand, both Peter and Judas screwed up huge. And both of them were very sad about it. Sadness is not the goal. They were both sad about it. But Peter was the one who looked at Jesus, looked to Jesus, the one who would run to Jesus on a beach. Judas ran to destruction. Peter ran to Jesus. That's repentance. You got to turn again. Turn again, Peter. And then the second thing he told him is now, after that, strengthen your brothers. Which means now, Peter, now you'll be ready to lead. Because I'm going to kick the cocky out of you. And, and, and that prepared him. See, up until that point, remember, Peter thought he was better than. Those ten schmoes might, but not me. And now he knows that he's not better than. He's not a super apostle. He's not some amazing disciple. He's just a dude that God is using. That's it. That's it. And so he becomes a tender, empathetic shepherd. You understand the way God prepares people for leadership in his ministry is through pain and suffering. It's one anvil blow after another, and it hurts. But that's how he prepared Peter. But don't forget, Satan sifts, Jesus winnows. So Satan wants to sift you, Peter. What he wants to do is say, Peter, look at the chaff. You denied him. You, you didn't even deny him once. You denied him three times. How? How could God ever love you? You think Jesus would ever want you? Look at that, Peter. Satan says, but Jesus winnows. Yes, son, you did that. I saw all three of them. In fact, I knew it. I told you ahead of time. You remember that? I knew. And I chose you Anyway, so let's let the Holy Spirit blow the chaff out and let's focus on the grain. It's progress, not perfection. It's conviction, not shaming. And let's move on, Peter. Let's move on. Satan sifts, but Jesus winnows. And remember, that's because Jesus has different goals. He doesn't want to protect Peter from the world. He wants to prepare Peter to minister to the world. By having a tested, a mature faith. And that's what happens for Peter. He turns out pretty well. You know, he becomes the leader of the early church. He becomes a missionary. He writes some of the books in the New Testament. And then you know how he dies? He dies a martyr's death, which means he was not denying Jesus anymore. In fact, legend has it that when they went to kill Peter, they were going to crucify him just like our Lord. And Peter said, I'm not worthy to, to die like Jesus. Can you crucify me upside down? And that's what they did. He's no longer denying Jesus. He's been prepared. Now here's something that's really, really cool, and I don't want you to miss it. This story in Luke is entirely unflattering to Peter. You get that, right? And he's going to be like the leader of the early church. This is the rock. Why do we have this story in the Bible? Edit that out. Make the church look good. This is not flattering. After all, how did it even get in there? You, you realize this story is not only in Luke, it's in all four Gospels. There's not a lot of stories that make all four Gospels. This one makes it. And a lot of the details were things that only one person would have known. Only Peter would have known them. 
my expectation, my suspicion is that Peter told this story loud and often. Peter bragged on this story. Peter told this story. He was telling, you know what he was saying? I'm not a great disciple. He's a great savior. I'm not a great disciple. He's a great savior. Put that story in. Put it in. Oh, so cool. That's how Peter turned out, and he told his unfiltered story. Now, let's talk about how we can turn out. What what do we do with this? How can we turn out? Well, the first thing I want you to do, I want you to work on this this week. I want you to relax into the security of Jesus' love for you. Jesus sees you, the real you, the unfiltered picture. And if you are a child of God, if you put your faith in it, you belong to Jesus, he chooses you, he wants you. The unfiltered you. Think about this. Why, why did Jesus warn Peter? It didn't change anything. He didn't warn him so that he wouldn't deny. He warned him that he would deny, and Jesus knew it wouldn't change anything, and he warned him anyway. Why? I think it's so that once it went down, Peter had something to lean on to say, oh yeah, God already knew that, and he loves me still. Think about this. How often... Have you done some sin, probably a big one, and you hit that point where you're like, there's no way God could love me anymore? No way. What if God could have a conversation with you ahead of time and say, listen, I know the worst stuff you're going to do. Let me lay it out for you so that when you do it, you know, I knew and I choose you still. God just did that for you this morning through the preached word. He chose you still. So, Relax into the security of Jesus' love for you. Now, along with that thought, though, we've got to go to the second thing, and that is keep on repenting. Because, see, with the first thought, I go, oh, cool, so I can do whatever the heck I want, right? Because Jesus got me, right? No, if you go that route, that's an unregenerate heart. That's an indication you don't belong to Jesus, and none of this applies to you, okay? Instead, we want to respond like Peter. How did Peter respond? Peter responded with worship, repentance, obedience, service to Jesus. He wept bitterly like he responded well. See, he responded with repentance. We must repent. We must turn again. We must look Jesus right in the eye. We must weep over our sin and we must run back to his arms. We must keep on repenting. Because after all, if we're honest, we start out with the greatest of intentions, right? Jesus, I'm going to give up my whole life for you. I think Jesus is looking at us going, oh, that's sweet. That's sweet. And then we deny and we deny and we deny in the rooster crows. But here's the good news. Your story isn't over. Just like Peter's wasn't over in that moment. Your story is not over yet. And so not only denial in the rooster crowing, that's not only a part of your story, but you know what else? Repentance can be as well. Your story can end well, just like Peter. And so the next thing that I want you to do, third, I want you to tell your whole story so that God gets the glory. That means the unfiltered version. Put it out there loud and proud. Don't clean it up at all. Peter didn't, right? Listen, I am unfaithful. Jesus is faithful. That's the story of all human history right there. We're unfaithful. Jesus is faithful. He gets all the glory. We're the villains. He's the hero. He gets all the glory. I am a bad human. I know this because Shannon tells me all the time. 
I kid you not. Like I'm around the house and I'll make some joke. You know what I'm going to start doing? I'm going to start doing this. She's like, you're a bad human. She's right. Here's my story. I'm a bad human. He's a great savior. That's our story. And Peter didn't hold back. And so like Peter, tell your whole story so that other bad humans go, my goodness, he's a savior like that. He loves like that. I want in on that. Don't hold back. Tell your whole story. And then lastly, don't waste it. Listen, a lot of you have been sifted. You know that pain. Sifting's hard. It's harsh. It's difficult. Don't waste it, right? How can you use that pain and suffering to serve God, to turn again and strengthen your brothers? You see, the hard bits of your story were either put there by God or allowed to be there by God, but either way, he allowed them so that he could prepare you to minister to others. Don't let it be wasted. Failure is a great teacher. Learn from it. Turn again. Strengthen your brothers. All right? And for those things, I want to pray. Bow your heads with me, if you will. Father in heaven, we love you, and yet not enough, because we're bad humans, and you're a great Savior, and so the real story is how you love us. And we admit right now, boldly before you, we are bad humans, and we deny you over and over. Even though you warn us, we still do it, and yet Jesus is a great Savior. And so we want to face off with you, like look right into your face and we want to weep and we want to repent and we want to grow. Lord God, would you winnow us and blow the chaff out of our life and that we would then experience conviction, not shame. And though we're not perfect, we would experience progress in our life walking with you. Father God, do those things, please. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.